Uh, any tensions in the house with Christmas on the way? How many of you already got all your Christmas gifts purchased? How many of you are waiting to the last minute so that you can order two-day notice from Amazon? It was a bad day the other day, put up the Christmas tree. Some of the lights worked. Most of the lights didn't work. How many of you, when some of the lights don't work, you just put on another strand to try to hide the lights that don't work? How many of you have been doing that for several years? Have you ever tried to unravel lights on a tree that some of the lights hadn't worked for several years and you've, yeah, you get my picture? Five hours later, Meredith said I was a good husband. I have to agree with that. Listen, let's get started today in Matthew chapter 1. We are very glad that you're here. You turn, you turn there. Some of you may be here for the first time. We're, we're very glad to have you uh, visiting with us. Some of you it may have been a, a while since you've been here. We're glad to have you back. Some of you are, are regular, and we're very thankful for your faithfulness, for your commitment. We're going to spend some time over the next few weeks walking through the story of of Christ and his birth, and we're going to start out today in a little bit of an unconventional way, but it's going to be a good time, I promise you. Um, And we're not done with music because we're going to do something at the end that I think that is very, very significant in our time as we talk. But let me say this about about, um, the scriptures, because so many times we think the Bible is just a book, but the Bible isn't a book, but it's a collection of books written over 1,600 years, divided into two different sections, written by over 40, probably at least 40, maybe more, 40 authors. And in that, three different languages, uh, written on three different continents. But it's a collection of books. And in that, in the New Testament, we find what we call the Gospels, the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And out of those four books, what they do is they tell the story of Jesus and his life. Now, if you look at two of those Gospels, um, Mark and John, they begin with the story of, of John. They begin with the story of John and talk about John and his life. If you look at the book of Luke, it begins with what we say are the announcements from the angels because the angels come to Zechariah. Uh, he announces that his wife is going to give birth after a period of time that they've gone through a barrenness and they will name him John and he will be the precursor and he will set the stage for the Messiah, Jesus, to be born. Luke also announced to to Mary, listen, you're going to have a child, and he is going to be the Son of God. But then we come to Matthew, and Matthew doesn't begin with a story, but what he begins with is he begins with a list of names, and we're going to talk about some of those today as we walk through and as we begin this, this series together. Now, I don't know necessarily about you, but this is what I know most of us probably in this room know. Um... You know the names of your parents under normal circumstances. You know the names of uh, under normal circumstances of your grandparents. Um, and some of you may even know the num- names of your great-grandparents, right? But after that, you know, unless somebody's told you some type of a story. But then there are those people inside of your storyline that maybe you've heard stories about that you parents maybe really didn't want you to know about those stories, Okay. And then there are those people that we really want to brag about in our, in our past, 
But the reality is this, is that all of us have come from a lineage. We've got ancestors behind us, whether they're good or whether they're bad. In every one of those characters, there's a story within their life. Some successful, some significant, some famous. But then those people that have checkered reputations are our lifestyles. And as we begin today in Matthew, I want you to sort of keep that in mind because Matthew is going to tell us something about Jesus in these first few passages that we're going to read today that are very significant because it tells us something about the significance of why Matthew was writing what he would write and why he would begin the way that he would begin. So let me begin today by reading together Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and this is what Matthew says as he begins his gospel leading up to the birth of Jesus, and this is what he records. He writes down, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham, and Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, at first glance, you're thinking, okay, this is just a normal set of genealogy like Ancestor.com. This guy's doing a good job, right? But there's more to the story than what's going on because Matthew, number one, he knew the audience to whom he was writing, and he knew that it was very significant that during his time and why he was writing that he would need to prove the significance, the validity, and the authenticity of Jesus and the fact that he would come from the line of of David, because that would be the historical proof that Jesus was the king that they had been waiting for by going back and tracing his Jewish lineage all the way back to Abraham. And so here we are, we're getting ready to see that is when Matthew's going to give us this record of the names within the lineage of Jesus, and he's going to include those names, like I said earlier, some that maybe we would include and maybe we may not include because of their past, but The question I have really up front is, why would Matthew include the names that he would include? Because you're going to see that he's going to include some names that really doesn't make an awful lot of sense. To mention, there's going to be some women inside of this lineage that he's going to mention. The names of some ladies that that were not necessarily Jewish by any means, at least three of them, one we don't really know, and then he would also beside the mother of, of, uh, of Jesus, Mary himself. But here he mentions the, the names of some women, some very important women, but he mentions them in a male-dominated society. And he's going to list these names trying to validate the fact that Jesus was from the lineage of David. And listen to what he says here. Judah, you might want to underline that. He was the father of um, Perez, and Zerah. By the way, underline this next one, who was the mother of Tamar? Now, Matthew introduces us to this guy by the name of of Judah, who's the father of so-and-so, whose mother was Tamar. Now, I don't know how much you know about Judah, but if I were to say, okay, who's Judah? I wonder what you might know about Judah in his, in his past. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Judah this morning. Because Judah was one of the sons of who? Jacob. He was one of the 12 sons of Jacob who would be the foundation for the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, may, maybe you know something about Judah because Judah was one of those brothers, those brothers who hated the other brother by the name of 
Joseph, who had the coat of many colors, who was the favorite child, and his older brothers really didn't want anything to do with him. And so they hated him so much they wanted to kill him. But Judah was the man that stepped in. He was the brother who stepped in and said, hey, he said, man, let's not kill him. He said, what in the world are we going to benefit if we kill him? We're not going to gain anything. Why don't we just throw him in a pit and sell him? That was Judah. And that's exactly what they did. They wanted to make a profit. So they threw him in a pit. They sold him as a slave. If you know anything about the story, you remember that after a series of events that Joseph would eventually show back up. And he would be second in charge of all of Egypt, just right up under Pharaoh himself. And after Joseph was sold into slavery, Judah, his brother, decided that he wanted to to move. And he ended up meeting this Canaanite woman whom he married. And they had three sons. Three sons. Er, Onan, and Shelah. And over time, Judah, this father, he arranged that his sons be married. He wanted them to be married. And so... um, he, he allowed his son heir to marry a woman by the name of Tamar. And hold on to this. But the problem was, was this, this son of, of Judah was an evil man. And the Bible says that, he took his, that the Lord took his life. Well, based on custom, Judah goes to the second son and he says, Look, son, oh man, this is what I want you to do. Based on the customs, I want you to marry your brother's widow. Because... I want you to produce a son, an heir of his brother. But Onan didn't want to do that. As a matter of fact, he had his own little plan. You go back and read on that. Make sure you don't have the kids around, though, while you're reading it. So he comes up with his own plan, and guess what God does? He takes his life, too. And so what you have is this young lady who's a widow, and and Judah says, listen, the other son that's left... He's just too young to to be married to you right now. And so you just go back to your family. And when it's time, when he's old enough, what I'll do is I'll I'll send to get you. And then you guys can be married and everything will be okay. But do you think Judah had any mind in having them get married? Mm -mm, No. He didn't want to lose the third son. Not at all. And so he sends her off. He never had any intent at all for Shelah, the third son, to be able to marry Tamar. Because he thought, well, I might lose him as well. So time goes on. Time passes. You know, this this young man, this third son of of Judah, he he gets older. And finally, it becomes very evident that Judah's not going to send that son. He's just not going to do it. So Tamar ends up coming up with her own plan. She decides one day, she hears the story that Judah's going to be coming by. He's going to be coming with one of his brothers to shear some sheep because in the meantime, Judah's wife had passed away. So here's this this man, after a period of mourning, picks up with one of his buddies and they go to the next town, the village, to shear some sheep. Tamar hears the story and she says, hey, she says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to dress up like a prostitute. And she leaves, puts off her widow's clothes. She dresses up like a prostitute. And she goes out and she stands on the corner because she knows he's going to be passing by. You guys heard this story before? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> so she dresses up and she dresses up like a prostitute and she sits out on the corner. Judah comes passing by and he sees her. He doesn't know who she is. She's in prostitute's clothes. She's got a, she's got a veil over her. He didn't know who she was at all. And so he, he says, hey, good looking, what you got cooking? 
Isn't this a great Christmas story? I hope there's nobody under the age of 18 in this room, but anyway. He propositions her. That's what he did. He didn't know that it was his daughter-in-law. He propositions her. And uh, she says, okay. She said, what are you going to give me in return? He said, well, I don't really have anything to give you. He said, I'll give you a goat when I get back. And she said, no. She said, I I want some guarantee of a payment now. And she said, I'll tell you what. She said, well, what about that identification seal? What about that signet ring you got there? And what about that staff? And he says, okay, you can have it. You can have it. He gives it to her. They seal the deal. They do it. You know what I mean? It's a one-night stand. At least he thought it was a one-night stand. He gets off and he goes his own way and she goes back home. Well, little did they know in just a little bit of time, she shows up and she's pregnant. In the meantime, Judah's gone down to, to shear sheep and, and uh, he tells the guy that he's with, he said, listen, man, I met this prostitute. I don't understand why you would want to tell somebody like that, that story. But he said, I met this prostitute on the way and I promised her that, you know, for certain uh, things that I would pay her. And I told her, I promised her that I'd pay her a goat. So listen, will you take the goat back and pay her? And he says, well, I guess so. So he goes off to take the goat. Well, he can't find the woman anyplace. She's not sitting where he said that she would be sitting. He asked everybody, listen, have you seen the prostitute that sits over by the so-and-so? I've got a goat for People in the neighborhood say, man, we ain't seen. There's nobody. There's no prostitute that sits on that corner. What in the world are you talking about? So he goes back to Judah. He goes all the way back to Judah. And he says, look, man, he says, bro, I don't know what in the world you're talking about, but I've talked to everybody, and there is no prostitute that sits on the corner. Judah said, listen, I did what I was supposed to do. I I tried to make good on my promise, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, He said, man, if we were to go back now and start asking questions, people would really make fun of us. Well, give it a little bit of a period of time, and tomorrow shows up pregnant. When word gets back to Judah, that she's pregnant, guess what he wants to do? He wants to throw some stones. I mean, how in the world can this daughter-of-law of mine, who's supposed to be a widow, who's supposed to be in wait, how in the world can she show up pregnant? Tell you what, why don't you bring her out and let's burn her? Why don't we kill her? Very interesting story, huh? But the story's not over. So because what ends up happening is Tamar says, she says, listen, she said, I want you to know before you kill me that the man who's the father of this child, he owns this signet ring and he happens to own this staff. Guys, look, I was just joking. I didn't really mean what I was saying. Y'all can just go on about your, your way. I'll take care of her. Because he realized he was the father. And he says to her, you're so much more of a righteous person than I am. And I want to say this as I, just as a, a little bit of a story inside of a story. You better watch it when somebody starts throwing, when they start throwing stones. I've always found in life that those many people who throw stones have got their own stuff going on in their life. They got secrets going on behind the scenes that many times they don't know, but just give it a little bit of time. It'll come out. But watch out for people who want to throw stones. So anyway, this is the same guy 
This is the same guy that had sold his brother into slavery so that he could make a profit. This is the same guy that goes to his mother and father and tells them that that the, the brother has been eaten by a wild animal and broke their heart. This is the same guy that promised to take care of his daughter-in-law, yet refused to live up to his end of the deal. And he is rallying for support to kill this young lady. Well, Tamar ended up giving birth, birth to twins. Those children's names were Perez and Zerah. Fast forward a couple of years, probably 20 years or so, and they're standing before Joseph, the father had sent the sons because there was a famine in the land to Egypt because they had heard. And instead of Joseph punishing them because he realized who they were, and instead of killing them, what he did is he forgave them and he blessed them. And here's Matthew mentioning Judah and Tamar inside of the story of the birth of Jesus. But why? What was the significance? I'll tell you why. Because here Matthew knew that they weren't just part of the story. See, it wasn't just about the names that are being written, but it was about their storyline and what took place in their life because they are the whole reason that Jesus himself would be born. And, And see, This is, I guess, what we really need to realize is that there's a lot of Judas in this room. As a matter of fact, we all are Judas to some extent, aren't we? And you go, well, I'm not as bad as they are. Yeah. The Bible says that all of us are sinners and that that we all fall short. But we're the whole reason that Jesus came. See, Judah deserved one thing, but he got something else. See, we deserve one thing. But God gives us something else if we're willing to receive it. But Matthew just doesn't stop there, but he goes on. He goes on and he, and he continues on. Perez, he's the older of the twins of Tamar and, and, and Judah. He becomes the father of Hezron, and Hezron becomes the father of Ram, and Ram becomes the father of Amimadab, and Amimadab becomes the father of Nashon, and Nashon becomes the father of Salmon, and Salmon was the father of Boaz. Now, that name ought to ring a bell. Seems like we just got through talking about that for for several weeks. Boaz. Maybe you remember him. Important name. Brian talked about him several times. But here it is. This guy by the name of Boaz ends up marrying this lady by the name of Ruth after after some serious issues take place. And Matthew says, tells us who his mother was. It was a woman, by the way, by the name of Rahab. My goodness gracious, does that name happen to sound familiar? Here Matthew gives us a part of the story that, that, that we didn't hear, that we didn't learn about in the book of Ruth. And he, he tells us something that he thinks is important, that Boaz's mother was Rahab. Now, Rahab wasn't a Jew, but she was a Canaanite. If you remember the story, here are the Jews getting ready to go into the promised land, and yet they're, they're afraid. And so Joshua sends in some spies. They take, they, they take a look of what's going on, and then all of a sudden there's, there's some guys that are looking to kill them. And so they take refuge in this lady's house, and she, she rescues them. She hides them. She protects them. And in the midst of that, they, they say, listen, you've, you've protected us. Is there anything we can do for you when, 
He says, because we're coming. We're coming. And she said, will, will you save me and my, will you save and rescue me and my, my family? Now, Rahab had a nickname, didn't she? Yeah, see, you, you, you've probably heard that. Rahab the, yeah, Rahab the prostitute. Now, we had nicknames growing up. I don't ever think we had somebody named Rahab the prostitute. We had, we had names like, uh, like Worm and uh, Slinky and uh, Mountain Man, uh, Catfish. I can come up with some other ones, but I'll stop there. And some of those names are really funny, but it's amazing how many of those nicknames represent certain characteristics. Are you with me? But here she was, Rahab the, the prostitute, and her name wasn't funny, and it wasn't humorous, but it was representative of her, her, employment, her employment. Now, let me, let me break off just for a second and say this. There's there's two different types of prostitutes that we find in the scriptures, two different names that represent prostitutes. Number one is a, a common prostitute. The second type of prostitute is a, a sacred or religious prostitute. Those who are a part of the temple have been given to the temple, and they are a part of temple worship. Now you're saying to me, man, you, you're just crazy. I mean, here are young children, men or women, girls or boys, being dedicated to the temple and they are used specifically and live there and are used specific for religious worship purposes for pagan cultures. It's hard for us to understand that. You know, we talk about sex trafficking and things like that these days, but this is real. And it still goes on in the world today. I've seen it with my own eyes. In different parts of the culture, uh, in country where I have, in countries where I have visited, I have seen temple prostitutes standing outside of the temple taking pictures with people. It's a big deal. I want to read something to you really quickly because it sort of gives us a picture because it's hard for us to understand from a worldview what's taking place. But let me give you just a little bit more of a, of a picture of what's happening so you can understand. I, uh, I copied down a quote that I read out of Baptist Press from 2012 of a story that was written in reference to what I'm talking about. This is going on today. So this maybe gives you a little bit better understanding of of what's going on. So here is the, here's the story, and I'll read it um, just as it was, it was printed. Imagine living in a society, and here you are being judged by your station in life or your cast in life, okay? You're determined, your cast in life was determined by your birth rather than your individual worth or accomplishments. As a father in the lowest rung of society, you can barely keep food on the table. Should your wife become ill after giving birth to another daughter, by the way, who, unlike a son, you had hoped for, will be in an unbearable financial burden, and you only see one choice, dedicating your daughter to the goddess as a temple prostitute. This still goes on in the world today. And it says here, in doing this, she is not only given a profession, but it's a way for her to obtain food for her family. And in doing so, there's a belief that the goddess will show favor to your family, not only sparing your wife who is sick, or ill, or ill, but also filling her womb with a long-awaited boy child. Such sacrifice is small compared to a family's alternative faith, which would be starvation. That's only what they know. They don't know any different. 
They live in a pagan society, in a pagan world, doing the best they can with what they have, not understanding or knowing about the gospel and the hope that comes through Christ Jesus. Do you, so do you believe that the hope that comes through Christ Jesus is important in that culture and in that world? It's in that area that we've built wells. It's in that area that we've helped establish churches. It's in that area that we've helped um, fund and, and, and uh, support some work that is taking place, not only through the International Mission Board and the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that you guys are giving to right now, but also through other offerings and other support. Well, let me just say this. Rahab wasn't a temple prostitute, but she would have been known as a common prostitute. And that's not something that I'd really want anybody to know. My, my grandmother was a prostitute, people. I don't think I want to tell that story. Yet Matthew's including this in this storyline. And Rahab would not only protect the Israelite spies that Joshua would send to inspect the land of Canaan by giving them a place to hide, but she would also risk her own life and her household because she had heard the stories of the great God of the Israelites. And the spies would go back and they would tell Joshua the story of what was going on and they would go in and they would destroy Jericho and yet everything in that, in that city would be destroyed except for Rahab and that, that family that lived with her her. And this little girl by the name of Rahab, who ended up being saved, who was a Canaanite woman, would end up marrying a man by the name of Salmon, who was an Israelite, who would have been part of that group that would have come in and taken over everything. Are you with me? So here is Salmon marrying this young girl by the name of Rahab, who would become the father of Boaz. By the way, who would end up marrying Ruth. Yeah. And you say, wow. I mean, who in the world would ever think that a prostitute would be a part of the lineage of Jesus? Yet Matthew included it here. But why? Why would he do that? Out of all the people in the world, why would he include the name of Rahab? But here's this Canaanite woman who didn't know very much. But what she did know is that she knew, based on what she had heard, she believed that the God of the Israelites would save her. And you know, we say this often. How often have you heard me say or make this comment, we're, we're a step away from stupid? Look at the person on the next to you, on to the right of you, and say, you're one step away from stupid. Now, to some of you, that's a more meaningful statement than to others, okay? Especially if you're sitting by your spouse. But listen, we all are one step away from stupid, but let me also say this. We're all one step away from salvation. I mean, just as we are all one step away from stupid, every one of us are one step away from salvation. Regardless of the past or the foolish mistakes that you've made, there is hope. We just have to be willing to turn to God and trust Him. I mean, see, there are those of us that have wayward family members, or you may be wayward yourself, or, man, we've got wayward friends at work or neighbors, and sometimes we want to say, well, there's just no hope. Don't you ever believe that? Because that's why this baby that Matthew would be talking about would be born, so, so that there would be hope, because salvation is one step away. And here is Rahab, this Canaanite prostitute, exercising faith, and as a result, God would save her and her family. 
Isn't that incredible? Amen? That's a great story. And here we find this girl, um, she is declaring her allegiance, her dependence, and her statement of belief, of of faith in God. And in in Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, she declares this to the spies. She says, listen, I don't understand it all, but this is what I do know. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and below. That's what she said. I don't understand it, but God, this is what I know. The God of the Israelites, he's God. And he's one that's large in charge. Now, let me just ask you the question. Have you ever come to the place in your life where you've cried out and you've said the exact same thing? Have there ever been that time in your life where you have declared your faith? If, if not, what are you trusting in today? Where is your allegiance? See, I'm not talking about whether or not you're a churchgoer. I'm not talking about the numbers of times that you serve. But I'm asking you the question, have you declared your faith in Christ? Not where you've been but where are you headed? Have you, ever, have you ever nailed that down? Because Rahab's statement of faith was a life-changing moment for her. And just like it was for her, it can be for you if you've never made that decision. So let me bring it together. So here's Brian pointing out to us for a few weeks that in this series on Book of Ruth, here's this man. This is up front by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech, that's a good word to say. Who has this wife by the name of Naomi? They have two boys identified them as Ephorites. They were from the city of Bethlehem in Judea. Um, and most Bible scholars believe that this place, Epareth and Bethlehem, were just two names for the same city. And you may say, well, that's not really that big of a deal. Why in the world is he going in and telling all these details? Maybe if you're really good and you're quick at at, at looking up Bible verses, look at the book of Micah in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah. And let me read to you what the prophet said and what was spoken in reference to the coming Messiah. He said this, but you, Bethlehem Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from the old, from ancient times. Well, the name of Elimelech and Nomi, his two boys, were Malon and Kilion. And then there come, would come that time that Elimelech would want to leave, and he would take his family to a place by the name of Moab. And after mo- moving there, his sons would become married to two Moabites. You remember their name? Orpah? And Ruth, Elimelech would die. He would lose his life. Within not much time after that, his sons would lose their lives. And so you end up with Naomi, you end up with Orpah, and you end up with Ruth. And if you remember the story, listen, girls, we're not going to be able to make it. It's not going to work out. Man, the resources are low. Why don't you just go ahead? I'm going to go back to my country. You go back to your family, and we'll just do the best we can. Because if not, we're going to starve to death. Orpah says, man, I'll go back. So she goes back to her family. What did Ruth say? Uh-uh. I'm not going anyplace. I'm staying with you. Matter of fact, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you stay, I'll stay. And then we ended up finding out, and Brian tells us the story, that after a series of events, after going back, 
that that young girl by the name of Ruth would marry this man by the name of Boaz, who was the son of Rahab. And Matthew goes on to tell us, he says that Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, a Moabite. Ruth wasn't Jewish, but she was a Moabite. And these things are so important because Matthew is, is saying, look, I want you guys to understand the history and the significance of, 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 of where Jesus is going to come from, where he came from. And he's going to put some of these names in there, some of them that make us scratch our head and go, what in the world is he talking about? I mean, some of the names would even muddy the waters instead of make it clear. But Matthew is mentioning these names, the people, because he knows that they are important. He's trying to validate the authenticity of Jesus, the Messiah. But so many times from some of the people that he's mentioning, some of the names that he's using from an outside perspective, they're just like, well, what is he doing? It just doesn't make any sense. But he goes and he says, Obed, the son of Ruth and Boaz, he says, was the father of Jesse, okay? And Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon. And here he goes again. Here he goes. Whose mother had been the widow, didn't mention her name, of Uriah. <laughs> okay. David had some problems, didn't he? But why in the world did he have to go back and mention Uriah? I mean, that was the, that was the woman whose husband that David had killed. One of the leaders in his, in his army. Even though David was this great king, David made some really serious mistakes when it came to his personal life. And I understand why he would mention David because he's part of the lineage. But why in the world would he even bring up the thought process of Uriah's wife, Bathsheba? I mean, to, to have mentioned her name, people would have known. They would have known the stories. But I'm going to tell you what it did. It drug up all kinds of skeletons in the closet. I mean, to have mentioned her name, man, you could have left that junk in the trunk. You didn't have to bring that out. I mean, David was a great king, but Matthew knew. Matthew knew the story. He knew what took place, and he knew that Uriah, Uriah's, um, Uriah was killed as a result of, of his trying to cover up his own sin, David. But again, why would Matthew, in writing in his account of the birth of Jesus, feel it was so important to mention the name and the lineage of Jesus. You know what one of the answers is? Because Matthew knew. He knew. See, Matthew knew the story. He's not writing in the midst of the story. He's writing looking back. And Matthew had walked with Jesus after he had been born, and Matthew had talked with Jesus. See, Matthew had, had been there. He had been a part of Jesus being arrested, and he saw him die, and he would have stood there at an empty tomb where Jesus would have laid and yet had been resurrected from the dead. And yet what Matthew knew was that the people that he is mentioning weren't just part of that story, but they are the whole reason that Jesus would be born, the whole reason. 
And Matthew knew that the hope in Christ that was brought, he knew it because he experienced it in his own life. Listen, turn to Matthew chapter 9 really quickly and, and let's look just very fast. Very fast. Matthew chapter 9. And Matthew records this in reference to his own experience. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. He's writing his own story. People, let me tell you something, man. Let me tell you what was going on. Here I am. I'm a tax collector. Just to let you know, tax collectors weren't really really well thought of then. As a matter of fact, they were known as a thief or a crook. I mean, it was one thing to be a Roman tax collector. It was another thing to be known as a Jewish tax collector that was working underneath the leadership of the Romans. And so here what they do is they would buy a place, buy a position, and they would purchase that position and they would go back and they would be a tax collector in that area. And their job and responsibility was to collect taxes for the Romans. All they had to do was, hey, meet the quota. This is what the Romans say, I've got to collect. But he could add anything he wanted to that, to that number. And man, he was hated. Jewish tax collectors were hated by the Jews. They didn't want anything to do with them. They thought that they were thieves. They thought that they were liars. They were crooks. And yet here's Jesus walking along. And he comes upon Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And this is what Jesus says to him. Follow me. Follow me. That's what he said. He said, follow me to this tax collector, this guy that nobody wanted anything to do with. He said, follow me. And Jesus in, had invited the other disciples to follow him. And I can sort of maybe understand how, you know, these were fishermen. These weren't tax collectors. But here Jesus extends the invitation to Matthew. Matthew. And here's the disciples. What in the world is he doing? I mean, I don't really want to be associated with this guy. But Matthew? Yeah, Matthew, I want you to come and, and I want you to, to follow me. And here's Jesus inviting Matthew, the guy that nobody wanted anything to do with, to be associated or be associated with him. And yet Jesus did not hesitate to offer the invitation. Do you hear me? And so here's Matthew listing all these names, and Matthew's looking back from a perspective, knowing why he's writing the story that he's writing, why he's mentioning the names that he's mentioning, because he knew. He knew why Jesus was born. And the Bible says, and continuing there in verse 9, it says, And Matthew got up and he followed him. I mean, he could have rejected the invitation, couldn't he? I mean, he could have said, well, I'm just not worthy enough. I'm just not good enough. You just don't understand. But what he did, there was an invitation that was given. And Matthew got up and he followed him. And see, that same invitation that was, at, that was uh, given to Matthew that day is the same invitation that every one of us in this room and every one of us around this world is, has been offered. Every one of us, come follow me. Come follow me. Matthew's response was, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. 
God's forgiveness is available to everyone, even those that we don't think deserve it. And I go back to the question, have you ever responded to Jesus and the invitation to follow him? If not, why not? I love what takes place next because it said that in verse 10, a little bit later, that Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There was no hiding the transformation that was taking place in this sinner's life. You know why? Because Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed everything. And as a result, Matthew himself was so, so thankful. How do you respond? When's the last time you've responded to thanks to God for his salvation? Through sending his son. See, his son wasn't something, sending his son wasn't, wasn't an act of convenience, but it was an act of necessity. Because there was no other way. When's the last time as a believer, a follower of Christ, you've looked back and you've given thanks for the things that God has done for the birth of a son that would save us, who would be Messiah, King, and Lord of all? Listen to this song, and then we'll conclude right after this.
I, I don't know where you are, and I don't know the decisions that you've made in your life, but I do know this. When Matthew was offered that invitation, he responded. He could have rejected it, but he responded. And as I read the story of Matthew and the other accounts of Jesus in his life, this is what I know, that even though Matthew would then eventually lose his life for his faith, this is what I know. Matthew was thankful that he made that decision. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, my question is why? Why not? You know what it requires? Humility. Recognizing that you're a sinner. See, good, good people, good people, they don't need Jesus. People that aren't sick, they don't, they don't think they need Jesus because they're not sick. But you know who knows that they need Jesus? People who know that they're sick. Listen, when I'm sick, baby, I'm going to the doctor. When we recognize that we're sick and sinful, we want to go to the master, the one that brings healing. And today, if you've never made that decision, my question is what keeps you from making the most important decision of your life. Would you pray with me? Father, what a blessing it is to come and to read and to understand that there's, there's much behind the scriptures that we've been given that sometimes we don't recognize or understand. We see, a, we see a list of names, but all of a sudden when we begin to unpack those names and learn a little bit about the stories behind those names, we recognize the significance. And here's Matthew Matthew, in the simplicity of in talking to us about the life of Jesus, what he does is he goes back and he gives an account of some stories about those that were a part of the genealogy of Jesus because Matthew recognized that that was the whole reason that Jesus came, because we're sinners. And Matthew had experienced that firsthand. 
Lord, for those of us that are in this room that have never trusted Jesus, even today, would we come to that place of crying out and say, today I want to I cross that line, just as Rahab declared her faith, and she said, I believe today, may we have people here that may not know Christ declare their faith in Jesus and say, I want to believe. And for those of us that have received Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded today of, of the passages and what Matthew included because it said he went out from that place and he went out into the world and he told others and he brought them back together because he wanted them to experience his friends that were just like him, that were sinners and desperate, that they would meet Jesus and they too would experience freedom from sin. For those of us that are believers in here, maybe be reminded that when our lives are, um, when we recognize the significant and, and when we trust Christ and we give our lives to him, when we recognize that Jesus changes everything, it also shows us how we should respond to the world around us. Because how can I not stop talking about what Christ has done for me, the greatest of all sinners? Thank you for this day. Father, I pray for us as we read through this book of Matthew over the next couple of weeks that you would speak to our hearts and illuminate our hearts as we look forward to the birth of Messiah, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.